You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. We're great to have you here this morning. Grab your sermon notes. Look with me, if you would, to the book of James. Before we get there this morning, let me uh, thank you for your response last week. And I would ask you to continue to be in prayer for the country of Haiti and the ongoing crisis that's playing out there as a result of the earthquake. A lot of things happening around our world. Obviously, some some points of need and points of prayer. But last uh, Sunday, I presented the need and we prayed and I identified that we were going to make a contribution from my relief fund of $5,000. And if anybody wanted to jump on that and be a part of that, they could. An additional $9,000 came in, so we sent 14000 this week to Haiti. We have, I think, maybe a few pictures. Yeah, the, the money was immediately turned into supplies, water, uh, getting to folks in need. So thank you for your generosity. It is such an honor to be a part of a church family um, that responds to need and that lives generously. So thank you for that and being a part of that. And this week, my wife and I had the experience of taking her daughter to, to college and <clears throat> dropping her off on Wednesday and Someone asked me earlier, I said, well, I guess that was kind of bittersweet. I said, well, more sweet than bitter, but uh, other than I had to leave my wallet there. Uh, it was interesting in our conversation with our daughter, my wife asked her, said, Grace, what are you looking forward to? She went uh, to Liberty University where she's going to be going to school. I said, what are you looking forward to as you're starting this new season of your life and, and going to Liberty and... She said, well, I'm looking forward to beholding the beauty of God's creation. And she wasn't talking about the buildings. I thought, is that what I'm sending her to school for? Like, isn't this about education, not looking at the boys? That's what she was talking about, beholding the beauty of God's creation. I'm in trouble. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of being on a Habitat for Humanity worksite, and I'm not like the, like the great builder, like I can construct things. I'm a good gopher. I can go for this and go for that, and I can, you know, carry some boards, drive a few nails, but I was, uh, man, I was so blessed to be on the worksite with about 10 men from Grace Covenant as we were driving some nails, and as we got there, it was just like the concrete and we put up all of the exterior walls in one day and so it was really fun to see like there was nothing and as we finished that day the walls were up but maybe the most exciting thing for me being out on the work site that day was the opportunity I had and the opportunity I get to share with men from Grace Covenant to put our faith to work actually to take the very faith that we profess and put it to work building a home for Someone that we didn't know, obviously, to qualify for a Habitat home, you have to be at a point of need. There's a whole process. So obviously, this was someone, a family at a point of need, and we got to be a part of taking the very faith we profess out of the building, right, and onto this job site and actually serving someone. You know, following Jesus is more than just saying the right things. It requires action. Can I get an amen on that? More than just saying the right things, it requires action. Certainly our faith begins with profession, but we must move to action. The very faith we profess must shape the way we do life, or it's not an authentic faith. There's a disconnect somewhere if your profession is not shaping the actions of your life. 
So, so what we're called to do is we're called to put our faith to work. And this book of James that we're going to spend some time in over the next 10 weeks is all about the putting our faith to work. And we have for you, um, as you exit this morning, if you'd like to pick these up, they're at the connect points, a little card that says putting your faith to work. And it gives you the layout of where we're going to be the next 10 weeks. And it's really a guide to help you read through the book of James so that you can read through what we're going to be talking about um, as we kind of learn together uh, as we work our way through the book of James. You know, there's a passage we'll look at next week where James says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Um, And so more than just hearing, we want to get this book in our lives in such of a way that it begins to shape our lives. So I encourage you to pick one of these up so we can learn and grow together as we work throughout this series. But as I think of the book of James, I think James, this book may be one of the most practical of all of the books in the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. And if I were to say, like, what's the most practical about how does my faith impact my life today, I would say... It's the book of James. You know, much, much of the scripture talks about our walk uh, toward God, our walk to God. But James really talks about our walk with God. What does it look like as we're walking with God? How does that work out in our lives? Following Jesus and, and living out an authentic faith is not just about having a, a, a sound theology, knowing how to say the right things. I, I'm all for sound theology and And gaining biblical insight. But more than just having a sound theology, we want to be those who are putting our theology to work. And as we're going to discover in James chapter 2, we'll get there in a couple weeks. But it's there that James says, faith without works is dead. If you have profession, but there's not evidence of that profession, James would say, it's dead. It's not alive. It's not changing your life it's not changing anyone else's life it's become a dead faith so we actually prove our faith by the works we do it's how we prove it's the reality of you know our faith is revealed in in the everyday realities of our life like how we relate to others how we treat people that's different from us is it's really a it's a demonstration of our of of our faith life how we control our tongues and we're going to talk about that how we handle our money Again, it's a statement of who Christ is in your life. And as James is addressing these issues to the early church, it's interesting to me as to how it parallels the very times we're navigating today. Like this book was written some 2,000 years ago, yet it's so pertinent to the issues that we're processing, that we're navigating through, even as we're walking out our faith today. So faith and works must complement each other and work together as we walk out our faith. So it's not just faith and it's not just works. It's actually a faith that works. You can think of it like that. A faith that works. A faith that's, that's fleshed out. So let me give you a little background to the book of James before we jump into it. I think it might be helpful. Interesting, James is the half-brother of Jesus. After Mary gave birth to Jesus, obviously the supernatural conception, the birth of the Messiah. Mary had other children, the scripture makes that clear. And James would have been a half-brother of Jesus. But what's interesting, it would appear that James didn't really embrace Jesus, his half-brothers being the Messiah, until after the crucifixion. Excuse me. And after the crucifixion and resurrection, 
And James realized, wow, my half-brother was the Messiah. And James becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So obviously, day of Pentecost, we know on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. So there's this explosion of growth as the church's birth. Uh, and James is pastoring the church of Jerusalem in the midst of a really difficult time because persecution begins to break out against the church. Um, it, it was not popular to be a Christ follower. So as a result of the persecution, it's almost like a blessing in disguise. As a result of the persecution, Christians scatter from Jerusalem throughout the Roman Empire. It was quite a strategy of evangelism, Right. It's like people being scattered, carrying forth the gospel message. But James is addressing, interesting, the first verse is he's, he's writing to the, 12 scribes, uh, to the 12 tribes that have been dispersed. Why have they been dispersed? Because of the persecution. They lost homes, property, jobs. I mean, this is, this is a difficult time that they're experiencing. So James the pastor is writing to these believers who've been dispersed to what? To encourage them in their faith. To encourage them in the adversity that they're experiencing as they're living out their faith. And again, what James writes here is, is so where we're at today, as I think about what's playing out in our culture, as I think about what I face on a day-to-day basis, what you face on a day-to-day basis, man, James addresses it for us as he's challenging us here to walk out our faith. And what we must understand as you're looking at your notes there, we're justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. The presence of Jesus in our lives must impact how we live our lives. So again, our faith is revealed through our works, what we do. Now, uh, let me be clear, this is really important. We are not saved by works. We, we understand that, right? Listen, there's no amount of works that you can do to earn salvation. Listen, you could never be good enough. And that's why Jesus came, right? He came to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. We're saved by grace. Matter of fact, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. He says, For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, so that no one would boast. I mean, you know, if, if we could get saved by works, there'd be a whole lot of boasting going on. Man, look how good I am. Yeah, I wish you could be as good as me. But there'd be a whole lot of boasting going on, right? But, but Paul says, No, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace and grace alone. But it's interesting, Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that we are um, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, get this, to do good works. So verse 8 and 9, he says we're saved by grace and grace alone, but we've been created to do good works. So even the Apostle Paul, complimenting what James says, says that these two go together. It's kind of like, if you can think of it like this, it's kind of like water. Now, we know that water is, what, H2O, right? Are you with me? Thank you. How many remember that in school? Water is H2O. It's two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. If we only have hydrogen, two parts hydrogen, how many know we don't have water? Are you with me? If we only have oxygen, oxygen's good, right? But if we only have oxygen, we don't have water. But when you bring these two chemicals together, the hydrogen and the oxygen, what do you have? You have water. You have something that's life-giving, right? How many of you know water's life-giving? You need to drink more water. I'm not your mom, but I'm telling you, you need to drink more water. Why? It's life-giving. 
And it's the same way with our faith. When we take the two components of, of, of grace, we're saved by grace, created to do works. When we bring those two together, like hydrogen and oxygen becomes life-giving, so our faith then becomes life-giving. It's the blending of the two. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's difficult to discern. Like when I look at this, like I don't see the hydrogen and I don't see the oxygen, but I believe what scientists have said. There's like these two chemicals. Like I, I don't see it, but I, but I see it. Does that make sense? It's, and it's, so it is with our faith and works. Oftentimes difficult to identify, yet it's the two that come together that bring forth life. So again, the book of James is talking about how does that work out? How does that how does that manifest in our lives? And as I said earlier, James is writing to believers who are in difficult places, adverse places. And so today as we look to the first few verses of the book of James, what I, what I want to specifically focus in on is this. How do we live out our faith in the fire? Faith in the fire. Now we wish that there wasn't a fire, right? We wish there wasn't the adversity. Can I get an amen on that? We wish it wasn't true, but it is true. Now, the adversity that the early Christians that James would have been writing to is a bit different than what you and I might be facing today, but it's not like get saved, follow Jesus, and have no more problems. That's not the way it works. I've heard people say that, you know, just follow Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. Well, that's not been my experience. It's follow Jesus and you still have adversities, but here's the good news. You have Jesus with you in the adversities. You have Jesus with you in the fire. So what does it look like to live out our faith in the midst of adversity? To live out our faith, to walk out our faith, because we're talking about putting our faith to work. What does that look like in the midst of of difficulty and adversity and challenge? Because it happens for us. Again, maybe not like the believers in James' day, but it happens for us in that, you know, I've talked with individuals at Grace Covenant recently who in their workplace are facing difficulty and adversity. They're being shunned because of their faith. That's called persecution. And I, I know that there's individuals in our Grace Covenant family today who are dealing with sickness and, and grief that comes from death. We just had a family member, a Grace family member pass away last evening. Family in grief, at the adversity of, of grief. We have individuals today who are, who are sick, really ill, battling things like cancer and, and COVID and needing organ transplants. Those are, those are adverse. Those are, are difficult times and seasons. There's, there's also this multi-ethnic discrimination still happening today as it was in James' day. Again, uh, the adversity, the challenges that we face. There's financial hardships as the cost of living keeps going up. And we're trying to figure out, like, how do we, how do we cover the bills? Listen, all of that is a part of what living, living out our faith in the fire, living out our faith in the adversity. So how do we do that? I think James gives us some insight and really quick, I, I, there are four things that he identifies. And what we're going to do is we work our way through the book of James. This is a little different. We're going to work through verse by verse through the book of James. Okay? A little different than what we've been doing. But I'm going to take you through section by section. And, and specifically today, we're going, to, we're going to focus in on how can I live out my faith in adversity, in the storm, in the challenges. So just so... I, kind of help me a little bit anyone facing any adversity 
like presently? Some challenges. Any of you think you might face some tomorrow? Okay, so we could all say that this is pertinent for us, right? Like James is talking to us about where we're at and how we're walking out our faith. So how do we live out our faith in the fire? Here's the first thing, live committed. You know, adversity is a reality that every Christian will face. It's not a question of, of if, it's a question of when. When will adversity come and, and, and what, will it, what will it look at look like? Notice what James has to say about adversity. I'm going to pick up in, in verse 2, verses 2 through 8. Listen to what he says. Consider it pure joy. Now there's a radical thought, isn't it? Any of, any of you ever had this thought, man, I'm in the middle of the fire today, and I just think I'm going to call all my friends and have a party. Like, that's not usually our first thought, is it? That's usually not our first response. To throw a party when we find ourselves in the midst of the fire, in the midst of an adverse situation. He says, consider it all, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know... Notice that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, there's a goal in mind. What's the goal? It's your maturing. It's the developing of your faith. He goes on to say, if any of you, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So the first thing that James advises us to, or the first directive he gives us in in the midst of the fire, when the adversity is happening, what we need to live, we need to live committed. So how, how does that work out? And it's interesting how James lays this out. You know, adversity is inevitable, but difficulties and misfortunes don't have to wear you down and wear you out. So James gives us some insight as to how we can respond to turn adversity into opportunity. I think, to what, I think that's what James tells us here. As you're in the fire, it's an opportunity to take that adversity and open it in a way that God can work in a greater way in your life and in that situation, whatever that situation might be. And he lays this out here. He says, hey, here's three things. As you're facing the adversity, here's three, three things you want to do. The first thing you want to do is you want to choose joy. You want to choose joy. Now, how many of you know, this this is so basic, but it's so true. We need to be reminded of this often. You cannot always choose what you're walking through. You cannot always choose what comes your way. But you can always choose how you respond to it. Right? Now, James is saying when adversity comes, you have a choice to make. You can whine and complain, or you can choose joy. You can grumble and moan and stay stuck, or, or you, can, you can choose joy in the midst of that situation. Now, there's not a promise that choosing joy is going to immediately change your situation, but this is what I've discovered in my own faith journey. When I choose joy, it changes me. It may not change my situation, but it changes me. It changes my perspective as to how I'm walking through the fire that I'm in. 
You know, the first thing James says here is, as we're talking about living committed, is, is we, need to, we need to choose joy over complaint. Now, rather than choosing to complain, let our first response be joy. And as you choose joy, know this, know that it's the strain that brings gain. Because he goes on to say, you know, it, this fire, this adversity is bringing about perseverance that's leading to maturity. It's the strain, it's the adversity that brings about growth and development in our lives. What's God concerned about in your life, who you're becoming? I said, what I'm convinced of today is God is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you're gathering. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you're gathering. So the gatherings, I'm not against the gathering, but God's really concerned about who you're becoming, and it's the strain, it's the adversity that brings the gain. It's like if you wanted to develop muscles, our son Caleb is in this whole season of his life where he's trying to develop muscles. So every day he goes to the gym, he spends a couple hours in the gym, and it's the strain of the regimen of the lifting of weights that's what? It's developing muscle. It's the strain that's bringing gain. So it's true for us spiritually. Again, what the perspective is, is, hey, I'm going to choose joy because the strain is bringing gain. In other words, there's a benefit to it of what it's bringing about in our lives. And as... We're walking through the fire. Here's the third thing that James says, seek God's guidance. Seek his insight. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, my goodness, as you're in the midst of the fire, don't just kind of blindly walk through it. Don't just kind of stumble your way through it. Listen, you have a God who sees all and knows all. Why don't you invite him into this situation? Seek God's guidance, seek his insight, seek his wisdom as you are going through the fire. We're in this whole season of trying to navigate this COVID virus and how that's played out. I can't tell you how many times over the past 18 months I found myself on my knees and on my face before God saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to lead our church family in this season, like I've never been here before. This is not fun. As a matter of fact, this last season of my life has been like the least fun of all my years of pastoral experience. Well, it's been hard. I've been in the fire. You've been in the fire. And, and my response has been not like, you know, how smart can I be, but man, how can I press into God to get his insight into this situation to know how, how, to, how to move through the fire. So the so first thing James tells us is, as we're walking out our faith, as we're putting our faith to work in the fire, is that, is that we want to live committed. Not only do we want to live committed, but we want to live prudent. Live prudent. You know, life's not discovered in what you have, but who you know. And if you notice in your notes there, the who is capitalized. It's not about who you know in this body, right? It's not about, hey, I know Pastor Farrell. That doesn't get you much, right? <laughs> the who is God. It's not about, life's not discovered in what you have, but 
but who you know. In other words, life's not found in the stuff of life, but in, in relationship with God. And again, there's, there's, you've heard me talk about this before. There's nothing wrong with the stuff of life. Enjoy it. But don't allow it to deceive you. Don't allow it to, don't allow it to own you. Whether it's the house or the 401k, the car, the boat. Listen, here's the deal. All of that stuff is temporary. May we not lose sight of that. It's passing, so don't allow it to deceive you. Let's look on at what James has to say. Look to verse 9. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should, not, uh, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So James tells us here that, that all the stuff that we've spent our lives gathering will one day pass away just like the wildflower. Beautiful one day, scorched by the sun the next. Beautiful one day, but just a dead flower the next. That's why we need to live out our faith prudently. And this word prudent is not a word that we use a lot, but it's a good word. This is what it means. It means to act or show care and thought for the future. To act or show care and thought for the future. To so live prudently means I'm not just living for the moment, but, but I'm living for the bigger picture. I'm living for, I'm living for the future. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about eternity. We're not just laying up treasures here that's temporary, but we're thinking about eternity and we're laying up treasures in heaven by how we live out our faith. True riches for, for a Christian consist of faith and love that's expressed in generosity and pursuit of Jesus, not just things. There's a parable, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 12 of a, of a farmer who had like this bumper crop. Like he had so much. He didn't know what to do with this abundance that he had. So he had this thought, and here was his thought. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can put all my crop in the bigger barns. Life's going to be good. Life's going to be easy. I'm just going to have a party the rest of my life because I have all of this stuff. And what's interesting, if you look to Luke 12, Jesus actually calls that man a fool. Listen, the very man that our culture would elevate today, Jesus calls a fool. Interesting. Why? Because he was not living prudently. He was thinking about the moment, but he was not thinking about eternity. And Jesus says, you're a fool. That's a, that's a, foolish, way, that's a foolish way to live. You know, our present life on earth it's kind of like the dot. I don't know if you've ever seen this diagram of a dot and a line. See, our lives, if you can think of it like this, our lives are lived out in two phases. One is a dot and the other is a line extending out from that dot. Do we have that? Yeah. So there's a dot and then there's a line extending out from the dot. So if you can think of it like this, your life, my life is the dot. It's temporary, right? Uh, it's brief. So it's the dot, but out from the dot extends a line that goes on forever. That line is eternity, where Christians will spend eternity in heaven. So right now we're living in the dot, but here's the question, what are we living for? What are we living for? 
See, the short-sighted person lives for the dot, but the person with perspective, the person who's living prudently, lives for the line. And the person who lives for the dot lives for treasures that, quite honestly, folks, treasures that end up in the junkyards, right? The person who lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. That's why James challenges us as we're living out our faith and live prudently. And don't spend your life chasing things. Listen, use your life to chase after God. And use the things that he blesses you with to bless others. That's called living prudently. As we're living out our faith in the midst of adversity, in the midst of the challenges, we just want to live prudently. We don't get caught just living in the temporary, and we want to be those who are living wisely, living for eternity. Not only do we want to live prudently, here's the third statement James makes. We want to live aware. Live aware. Confront the temptation that could deceive you. Temptation. You know, one of the challenges we all face is temptation. And we agree on that. Anyone been tempted lately? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. It's something that we all deal with. Now, this word temptation in this context means to be enticed or, or lured away to do something that's wrong, something that's harmful, something that's, that's evil. And because we're all challenged by temptation, James advises us what to live aware or, or to live, aware, uh, live alert. You know, as we think of being tempted or if we think of temptation, oftentimes we think of Satan. Who's the great tempter? Well, it's Satan. We think about what happened in the Garden of Eve where Satan tempted Adam and Eve and we have the fall of humanity. And Peter in 1 Peter 5a says, Be self-controlled and alert. The, the devil, your adversary, is prowling around like a royal lion, seeking those whom he may devour. So as we think of temptation, we think of, well, you know, it's, it's Satan. Satan tempts us. Satan's the problem. And it's interesting that James gives us a bit different perspective concerning this issue of temptation. So let's look back to what James says. In James chapter 1, verse 13, listen to how the scripture reads. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So it's not God's fault. God's not tempting you. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted. Notice, notice how they're tempted. When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So what does James identify here as being a source of temptation that we need to be aware of? That's a question, and I was hoping we would have some interaction. What does James say we need to be aware of? Ourselves. Yeah, oftentimes we think the problem is Satan, but one of the things I've come to discover in my own life is Satan is not my greatest problem. My greatest problem is me. Oftentimes Satan's not the source of temptation. Can he tempt us? Yes, he can. Can he deceive us? Yes, he can. But I would say that the greater challenge you have, the greater challenge I have, if, if, if we're honest this morning, is the struggle we have within and the temptation that, that we create. Again, 
I can't say this for you, but I can say it for me. My greatest challenge is me. I create most of my problems. It's not someone else. It's, it's not Satan. Now, I can fall prey to greed, and I can be consumed by how I can gather more and lose sight of the needs of those around me. This is my problem. I can get bitter and, and choose to hold on to places of offense because I think I'm justified to do so. And I have a right to do that rather than extending forgiveness. Again, the problem's in here. I can get selfish and self-centered and think life's all about me and, and what I want and what I deserve and not consider the interests of others. I can be demanding and difficult, not being gracious and kind. All of those are what? All of those are challenges. They're, they're, in, they're inside of us. They're internal points of temptation that we need to be aware of. And if we don't confront them and call them out, then James says here they can lead us to wrong actions. They can lead us to sin, and sin then ultimately leads us to death. So again, the problem's not Satan. I would say most of the time, you, you can figure that out in your own life, but I would say most of the time the problem's not Satan, but he's the one that we blame. Have you noticed if we can put the blame on someone else, we don't have to take responsibility for ourselves? And that's, and, but that makes it so much easier, doesn't it? Well, it's just Satan's fault. No, no, could it be the ugly that's within you? Could it be the depravity of your humanity that you're allowing to play out as you're giving in to the temptation that's bringing ugly out of your life? See, as long as we blame Satan, I don't have to deal with me. And yet the reality of the problem is the problem is deeper within. James goes on to say here that this course of temptation, this internal temptation, if not confronted, brings sin. It, bring, it brings consequence, but it'll take us down the wrong road. And it creates problems in our lives. So it's, as we're living out our faith, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the adversity, the challenges, the stuff that comes in life, we need to live aware of the temptation that can mislead us. We need to live aware and be alert to the temptation that creates trouble in our lives. And live aware. And then James goes on. Here's the last statement. The last point of advice James gives us. He challenges us to live grateful. To give thanks to God for his goodness. Where? In the midst of the fire. See, most of us think about giving thanks when life is good, right? How many of you know it's a whole lot easier when life is good to be grateful? When everything's going your way to be grateful. But what about when things are not going your way? Because that happens in life too, right? What about when you're in the midst of a painful situation? Do you naturally give thanks? What about when life seems to be against you and maybe even you're wondering, where's God at and what's he up to? Do you naturally give thanks? James, James directs us here in the midst of the fire what, that we are, to, we are to live grateful. As we're living out our faith, we want to be grateful every day, acknowledging God's work in our lives and for us. Look to verse 16. James goes on to write here. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift 
from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Here's a challenge I think we all face, is that we become so accustomed to the goodness of God in our lives that we take it for granted. Does that ever happen in your life? We get so it's kind of like it's kind of like going to the kitchen sink and turning on the water, and water comes out of the faucet. You never think about how blessed you are to have running water until you get up one day and the well's not working, or city water's off if you're on city water. Water line broke, you have no water. You go to the faucet and you turn it on, and there's no water. That's in multiple days, months, years. You, you, you've just been going and turning on the faucet, taking for granted that water's going to come out. I, I think in, in a similar way, we become so accustomed to the goodness of God that we live in every day. The jobs we have, the families we have, the homes we live in, the cars we drive. We just take all that for granted. You know there's actually people in the world, hard for us to get our mind around, but did you know there's actually people in the world today who don't have cars? You know there's people today who don't have homes to live in? There's people today, even right here in our community, who go to the pantry and there's nothing there. And we become so accustomed to the goodness of God. And we take it for granted and we don't live grateful. We, we, don't, we don't live with this, with this response of, of gratitude for the goodness of God. Now, I, I know I'm already over my time, but I want to do this just for 30 seconds. What are you grateful for today? This is, we're talking now. I know it doesn't seem that way, but we are. What are you grateful for? Living in America. Family. Just shout them out. Go ahead. We only have 30 seconds. Shout it out. What are you grateful for? Yeah. 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 And more. And more. And more. Every good and perfect gift we have. It's from our Father who loves us outrageously. In the midst of life, in the midst of our faith in the fire, in the midst of navigating things like COVID and all that comes our way. James says, hey, live grateful. Live grateful for the goodness of God in your life. Don't give in to complain. Listen, complain and grumbling gets you nowhere. I would say it keeps you stuck. It keeps you stuck in the muck. But live grateful. Realizing, recognizing the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God in your life. I'll leave you with this closing thought this morning. You know, Jesus never promised a problem-free existence. Remember, it's interesting. Jesus actually said the opposite. John 15, 20, Jesus said, just as they persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. So why are we whining about it? Jesus said, it's going to happen. You go live out your faith in the fire, 
And the reality of what's playing out in our world today, people are probably going to persecute you. Jesus said it would happen. John 16, 33, Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. James says, hey, as the trials come, James 1, 2, he says, as the trials come, listen, be joyful, count it joy. So our faith is, it's lived out where? Our faith is lived out in the fire. But as we're in the fire, here's the great news. As we're in the fire, we're never alone, right? But we have help. So live committed. Live committed in the midst of it. Live prudent, focused on eternity. Live aware of the temptation that comes from within. And live grateful. We're blessed in the fire and through the fire in so many ways. Live grateful as we're putting our faith to work. Let me pray with you. Lord, I thank you this morning for your presence in our lives. For the hope that we have and the help that you bring. And Lord, the reality is, is, is that it's not always easy. You didn't say it would be easy. You didn't say it would be this bed of roses. You didn't say it would be just this path of blessing without adversity. You, you told us it's right, but it's not going to be easy. It's good, it's life-giving, it's eternal. But it's not just a walk in the park. Lord, yet in the midst of living out our faith in the fire, God, we're grateful that you are with us. You, you said in your word, you would never leave us and you'd never forsake us. You said that you're a rock and a refuge, ever-present help in our lives. Lord, for that we're grateful. Lord, we want to be those who put our faith to work. Lord, we don't be those who just talk a good talk. We want to take our faith, the very faith we profess, and flesh it out in the fire. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly you're here today and you would just say, I'm in the fire today. I'm facing an adverse situation. I, just, I would just want to pray with you today that you would know that God is with you in that. And in the strain, there's gain. That God is with you working for your good, even if you don't see it yet. Anyone who would just say, hey, I'm in the fire. Right now, I'm in the fire. Pastor, pray for me. The balcony, the main floor. Lord, I pray today for individuals who have their hands lifted. God, you know exactly where they're at. And God, I thank you that you're with them in that hard place. Lord, today I pray that they would be encouraged to know that you're present in that situation. And Lord, I ask that you would bring wisdom and insight. Your word says, if any lacks wisdom, let them ask of you. God, I ask with them today. God, bring revelation and insight. And Lord, I pray that they would persevere. I set on you as they live out their faith in the midst of the fire that they're in. And God, I thank you for how you're going to work in their lives for their good. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.